contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt podcast presented by betonline.ag. It's your online sportsbook experts. They're the exclusive partner, as you know, of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use promo code PODCAST1, all caps. You get a 50% sign-up bonus. BetOnline.ag. Start with a little rant about what's going on with Kyler Murray. I just think that this player is so unique. Kind of sneaked up on us. Really didn't pay a lot of attention until I realized, maybe all of you knew about this, that he not only is the ninth pick in overall in the Major League Baseball draft, he has an opportunity to be similar in the National Football League draft, which he has declared for as of the deadline on Monday, January 14th. This is unique. I can't think of anyone in this generation. I guess you have to go back to Bo Jackson, who had extraordinary abilities in both baseball and football, maybe Deion Sanders, to think of someone like this But I don't even know if those players would have been drafted that high on the baseball side. But this is a special player, and I always talk about leverage. He's got unique leverage. The key to any negotiation is leverage. The key to leverage is options. He's got options. Think about any player entering the Major League Baseball draft. Well, they may have options in terms of going back to high school or college. But think about any player entering the NFL draft. If they don't go and sign the contract they're offered in the NFL, what are their options? They can't go back to college, and they can go get a job. That's basically their options. There's no other football league uh, of paying anywhere near the NFL, and that's their options. This kid, Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray, Heisman Trophy winner, University of Oklahoma, has options, two major options. So the last we heard out of Major League Baseball was two things. On the team side... The Oakland A's are talking about getting to that $15 million number that Murray threw out, which I think is low. I'll explain that in a second. And also the idea that the A's are bringing on their marketing experts, almost like the sort of LeBron recruiting or Kevin Durant recruiting, and showing all the money you can make off the field if there's limitations on what they can pay on the field or on the diamond. To me, that's fascinating. Again, this is the kind of, and I'll say it, groveling, that we've seen for top free agents in basketball and maybe in baseball for even like a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado. This is going that route with this kid, Kyler Murray. The other part of it is the league side where we're hearing about baseball may change their rules for this kid. In other words, there's limitations on how much the A's can pay this kid due to the rookie scale. We hear about the numbers like $14, $15 million, which is what Murray is asking for. Would Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, change their rules for this player? Now, on a short-term basis, yeah, it makes sense. He comes in as one of the most marketable players in baseball before he takes a pitch because of who he is. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. He was in the final four of the championship. He has such name value compared to, I don't know, maybe 10 players in Major League Baseball. He'd jump in right away, maybe 20, maybe he'd be top 20, if not top 10. So I can see why baseball is doing it. The problem, which I always talk about, is precedent. So precedent would not be good here because somewhere along the way, there's going to be another Kyler Murray. 
Now, maybe not with the leverage that this kid has, but they're going to say, what about me? And baseball is going to have to have an answer. And the answer is going to be, well, it was Heisman, you know, show me your Heisman trophy. That may be the answer that they're thinking of. But everything you do has a reaction. Every action has a reaction. Baseball's got to be careful what they do here. So where we are with Murray, he's, a, he's in the NFL draft pool. He applied and declared by the January 14th deadline. Now we do the run-up with All-Star Games. We do the run-up with the Combine, with the, the, uh, the team workout, the pro, pro days, and, of course, the interviews with all the teams, and we'll see where he goes. But I don't think baseball's done recruiting him, the A's, and the league. So that's going to be interesting to see. And to me, in a business heavily tilted towards management, go for it, young man. I mean, go for it. This is so rare to see this happen. This is kind of Kirk Cousins level leverage in a much different way. Kirk Cousins was, of course, had options because he was a true free agent. How many quarterbacks ever get to true free agency? You can count them on one hand that are good. And this is a kid that's gotten to essentially free agency of sport where he can pick. And again, what we don't know, and I know maybe he's hinted at it with football, Woody prefers more. And I think the, the best leverage he can do is not indicate any preference and keep this thing going as long as he can while the bidding keeps going. So Kyler Murray is a winner already in the business of football and a business heavily tilted towards management here is an outlier. Unique, extraordinary leverage for Kyle Murray. I want to get to this week's guest, really special guest, Booger McFarland, someone I worked with at ESPN that now has taken off with his career as the third man, the sideline reporter, the lift reporter on ESPN Monday Night Football. He tells his story growing up, going through a career in the NFL, and then somehow, some way, on a lark, getting into the business of broadcasting NFL football. That's taken him from radio to sideline, I'm radio to halftime reporting all the way until this present gig with Monday Night Football. Really interesting, informative, and hopefully entertaining discussion with Booger McFarland of ESPN on the Business of Sports podcast. Here he is. Booger, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be on, Andrew. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. I've always uh, enjoyed listening to you and following you, and I want to get into your role that just ended for the year with ESPN and up in that, uh, whatever you want to call it, hydraulic. <laughs> we'll talk about that. Um, I think it's good to sort of start, if you can take our listeners into how you transitioned from player to broadcaster and sort of where was your inflection point where you said, wow, I can do this. I can make this happen in a second career. If you could take us inside that. You know, I was actually, um, I, I retired at 30, and I've been retired four years. And at the age of 34, I got a call one day from a guy who remembered me doing a player show when I was playing with the Buccaneers. I, I still lived in Tampa. CBS mm-hmm. was starting a uh, all-FM sports station in Tampa. And so at the age of 34, I auditioned for afternoon drive radio. And I was like, okay, let, let's check it out, see how I like it. Uh, and so it I started working afternoon drive, 3 to 7, talking about the Bucks, the Rays, and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I, I had to go from, you know, three technique and nose guard and weak side linebacker to learning about the red and the blue line and offsides in hockey because, you know, that's what people want to talk about, especially in, in the city of Tampa where we have three major sports teams. And so uh, th- that was my introduction into it. And I knew I could do it. 
from a radio perspective uh, because I was willing to work at it because I knew nothing about hockey, very little about baseball. And so to go from the couch to afternoon drive where your hardcore sports listeners are, are following you, uh, I really had to put in a lot of work, and uh, I really enjoyed it. So that's kind of when I knew I could kind of do the broadcasting thing. And what were you doing? You said you retired at 30, and this call came in at 34. So take us through the time between those two events. Well, between 30 and 34, I got married, uh, started a family, and I was trying to get my handicap down from about a 22 to about a 4. And so I was kind of just enjoying life, man, and, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do next. Uh, I'm a country boy from Louisiana, so for me, um, I, I never was really a guy that wanted to sit up in the office and, do things of that nature. I want to be outside and be involved. And more importantly, I'm a, I'm a people person. So I want to be around and be in touch with people. Um, and so th- th- that was, you know, you know, getting married, starting a family. Obviously, those are important things. And so that kind of kept my interest going and kind of, uh, you know, kept me busy for a little while. But, you know, being the, being the guy that I am, I, I knew I needed a second career. And so when the opportunity came to do Afternoon Drive Radio, um, you know, that, that kind of piqued my interest, and, and, and I kind of went away with that. And really one thing led to another because while I was doing probably 12, 14 months into the radio, I got a call during a commercial break one day from the talent office at ESPN. And they simply said, hey, we've been listening via the Internet for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we like what we hear. We, we're starting – a, a new venture that we think you'd be great for it. Would you mind calling us back or can we call you back later? And I'm like, sure. So I get off the air, um, probably about seven o'clock. I call them back and they tell me about the SEC network that they're getting ready to start. And would I come audition for that? And I went to audition for the SEC network in December of 2013. I auditioned again in February of 2014 and the network launched August of 2014, and I got a role as a studio analyst in the SEC network, having never done TV before. So um, it was fun. It was eye-opening. But once again, uh, I approached it very similar to doing radio, except the segments are a little bit shorter. That's a great story, especially with so many people just angling and agents and all that trying to get into broadcasting. And you got a call during a break of your radio show to try yeah. out. That's just awesome. Now, you talked about a country boy and never really thinking of yourself in an office. When you were playing and you had the time in the off season, or whenever you had those thoughts, did you envision a career besides football? Did you envision anything with coaching or front office? Did you think about broadcasting? Where where were your thoughts as a player? You know, I, I never thought about coaching. Coaching takes a lot of time. You know, every time I would go to the facility, I'd always see coaches there, and that's early in the morning and late at night. And so I, I didn't want to be a part of a job that, you know, took that much of, of my time. You know, I dedicated a lot of my life to training and eating right and working out and going to bed and making sure you get the proper rest so you can perform at your best. Uh, to football for a lot of years. I, I knew I didn't want to do anything that strenuous. And so coaching never came into it. Front office work is something that a couple of people uh, had mentioned to me before just because they knew I enjoyed football and I enjoyed, you know, the the business aspect of it and also that I wouldn't be willing to put in the work. Um, I never really thought about broadcasting. Um, my biggest thing has always been, Andrew, being able to interact with people. 
that's why talking on radio and, you know, doing podcasts mm-hmm. and talking to people has always been really, really fun to me because there's nothing more rewarding and fulfilling than to be able to sit down with a bunch of guys or gals and have an interesting conversation and agree or disagree on interesting topics. To me, that's fun. That's how you grow. That's how you learn. Um, and, and that's something that I've always enjoyed. Yeah, and that comes through. I mean, as your friend, I see it. You're very effusive. You bring in people. You're good as a host. You're good as an interviewer. Uh, I, you know, I think people have that gift, that gift of being people persons, people people, I guess. And uh, you definitely have that. Now, you, now, let's just pick up where you left off. You're at SEC Network a few years ago. And then what? How do you transition more to ESPN Network? And then, of course, we'll get to the present role uh, in the Monday night booth. Well, yeah, I'm at, I'm at the SEC Network, and um, I did that for three three years. And going from year three to year four, actually going from year two to year three, I'll take you back. Uh, I, I told some of my bosses, you know, the SEC Network is great, you know, but you only get an opportunity to talk about 14 schools. And, um, you know, once the, you know, if, if there's no SEC teams that are really good that year, your season ends kind of early. And so I told the bosses, hey, I want to be able to do other things. Let's kind of expand a little bit. I'll still do the SEC stuff, but I still want to be able to expand and grow. And so they gave me an opportunity to do some ESPN affiliated stuff because it's all under the same umbrella. Um, And so I started doing college football live and sports center and uh, enjoyed that. And the people in Bristol enjoyed me. And then going from year three to year four, they switched me from SEC network to ABC. And so I would do Saturdays in Bristol now with Mac and Kevin Nagandi, and we would do the ABC uh, studio stuff. And that really kind of, um, from a college football side, kind of opened everybody's eyes. I would probably say, though, the biggest eye-opener for everybody was, uh, was probably between year three, year four, I think, when I started to do some regular stuff on Mike and Mike. And this was about the time I think Les Miles was catching a lot of heat and was about to get ready to get fired. And, uh, you know, Mike Greenberg brought me on, and it was very simple, just talking about my feelings. And, you know, I've always been amazed at how people respond to honest answers. Like, people were amazed at the Mm -hmm. answers that I gave, and I was just being honest. Like, I thought Les Miles was a bad coach at the time for LSU. And I just said that, and people were like, man, I can't believe you're so honest. I'm like, isn't everybody like this? And so people, people were like amazed at it. And, you know, Mike Greenberg and I hit it off and, and he's been uh, one of the most influential people in my career, uh, both from, from a, a, a broadcasting standpoint and just understanding the business aspect of broadcasting. And so now you move fast forward. I go from SEC Network to ABC. You know, ABC was, was really, really good. And I was happy there. And, you know, Go back to spring of 2018. I'm literally on the driving range trying to figure out how to get this seven iron back groove, you know. And I get a call <laughs> from the town office again saying, "Hey, uh, we have an opportunity that you know a couple of people think you might be interested in." And I was like, "Okay, what? Like Monday Night Football?" I'm like, "Okay, sure, yeah, you know, we want you to come audition." And I honestly hung the phone up, thinking, "You know what?" There's no chance in hell they're going to pick me for Monday Night Football. But you know what? It's one of those jobs that when people call or when the bosses call, you know, you listen because, A, it's, it's one of only four jobs in that, in that category where you're doing the biggest game for one of the big four networks. And, B, 
when your bosses think that much of you to have you audition, then you probably should go. And Mm -hmm. literally, I I hung the phone up that day thinking there was no chance. And probably about, I don't know, six weeks later, I I go audition. And it's it's me and Joe Tess in a sound booth in Bristol. And I knew Mm -hmm. Joe Tess, obviously, because just to take you back in time a little bit, he auditioned me when I got the job for the SEC Network. So there's a little bit of history there. So it's like me and Joe are like boys in the booth, and it's like, okay, turn the game on. And and literally, he's like, hey, you ready? I'm like, sure, let's do it. So we turn the game on, and it's like we're at his house, and we're just watching football. And two hours later, we get done, and he's like, you know, that was pretty good. I was like, okay, I mean, if you say so. And I walked out of that studio that day thinking I did okay, but – understanding that, you know, when you're going up against Brett Favre and Greg Olson and, you know, all these Hall of Fame type guys, they're not going to pick a country boy from Winsboro, Louisiana to do Monday Night Football. So I walked out of there that day, um, I think it was in early April, thinking, you know what, I, I threw my hat in the ring, it was fun, but, you know, we'll see where it goes. God, I got to pick up on a couple of things. First of all, you're answering your own phone about these jobs. I got to ask, you know, my mantra about there will be lawyers and agents no agent working for you on your behalf at this point, all handled by yourself directly? You know, when you're working for the SEC network, and, and, and you know, I had an agent at that point, uh, and then I moved to ABC. So Lou Oppenheim and Mark Zimmerman uh, are my agents. They had done the contract. Uh, obviously, when you go from SEC to ABC, there's a new contract that was signed. And so I was already in good shape. But I'm a firm believer, and as you know me, you know how I operate. This is how I do it. I don't bring the agents and the lawyers in until it's time. So if there's an opportunity to be discussed, people who know me call me and say, hey, here's what we're thinking. What do you think? And I'll say, sure, I'll go audition. There's really no need to have an agent to set up an audition. I can do that my own self. And at that point, you know, that's kind of what I did. And I I informed my agent what I was doing. And, you know, they were abreast of it. But, I mean, there's really no need. I I try to cut out all the middlemen, especially – in situations where they're not needed, because oftentimes when you get too many cooks in the kitchen, the meal doesn't quite taste as good. So when you're auditioning, Booger, and you have, you just talked about some names, and, uh, you know, I I heard about other names. You know, you mentioned Greg Olson, you mentioned Brett Favre, uh, Hasselbeck, I heard. There are probably a lot of people involved. Were you aware? Yeah, Kurt Warner. I mean, it's it's Kurt Warner, Warner, it's Whitney, it's, it's Hall of Fame people, Jesse Palmer. Like, it's, it's so many guys that kind of Hall of Fame, been in broadcasting for a long time, that fit the bill more than I did, which is one of the reasons why I was like, okay, it, it's cool to be mentioned among some of these guys, but in, in my heart of hearts, I really didn't think I had a chance. So did you, at that time, think you were auditioning for a two-man booth with Joe and yourself or Joe and whoever? Uh, yes. You know, okay. at, at that point, uh, it, it wasn't shared about anything other than a two-man book. And after our audition, I get another call back probably, I don't know, a week, 10 days later, saying, hey, we like what we heard. Well, first the call was simply, hey, there's only two people getting this call today, you and another guy. And we like what we heard, and we want to put you two together. Because I think the biggest thing that ESPN and Disney wanted to accomplish with this was they wanted to create – an enjoyable broadcast to listen to. Oftentimes, Andrew, you know, if, if you listen to e- even some of the greatest teams that we've seen about generation, it's mm-hmm. two people and 
the great ones do it, but it, it takes them a while to get there. It feels like sometimes that you're not listening to uh, two guys talk about football. It almost feels like you're, you're listening to two guys do two different jobs. Play-by-play guy gives the play. Analyst comes and gives what he says or, excuse me, what he sees. And they're not really talking to each other. And, you know, the great ones do it. Uh, obviously, some, you know, we hear that a lot, especially with the lead teams. But what right. happened, I think ESPN wanted to, to create a three-man booth to create that conversation a little easier. And so they're like, hey, you know, you're coming back. We're going to, you know, audition you with uh, another guy. So, of course, my question is, who's the other guy? Jason <laughs> Witten. So, okay, I never met Witten before, followed his career, Cowboy, the whole nine. I knew he's a great Hall of Fame player. So literally on a Friday morning, um, he and I both come out of a hotel, get in a Suburban, and we're ushered through the back door at ESPN, and we're in one booth, me, him, and Joe Tess, and in the booth next door or maybe one door down is ESPN Brass. And so we know, like, this is like this is for real. This is no longer just me and Tess and we're recording it to send to people like they are there so they can hear it and kind of get a feel. And so we go in and, and, and all three of us in a booth and two hours later, they walk in, close the door and say, Hey, we like what we hear. And you know, now the final decision comes down to uh, Jimmy Pertaro and like, you know, we'll be in touch. And hmm. I walked out of that. I walked out of there that day. Um, not knowing that a, what Pataro was going to say and be the dynamic that they were going to create uh, ultimately for Monday Night Football. So did you, Joe Tess and Jason Witten, do a game in, as a three-man rotation during that audition? Yes, yes. We did the same game over and over. Like It was the, it was the Tennessee Titan-Kansas City Chief game. That's the game that everybody did. Everybody who auditioned did the same game over and over. That way everybody – had the same, you know, basically um, high points, low points of the game, and replays the whole nine. Okay, and then when did you hear back on that? So, um, literally, I'm still involved in college football, so I'm getting ready to go to the draft because we're doing like a version, you know, ESPN does different things. So I'm on ESPN, two for the draft. So I'm literally at the draft in Dallas, when, you know, rumors start mulling around that, hey, Jason Witten is, you know, may get the job. Um, you didn't hear nothing, you know, uh, for sure. I go to bed, get on the plane the next day. Um, I am on the plane flying back to Tampa when Chris Mortensen uh, tweets out uh, ESPN has hired Jason Witten as the lead Monday Night Football analyst. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, not really sure what to make of it because once again, we auditioned together. So the only thing right. I said was maybe, you know what, maybe they decided to go different route. I'm like, okay, you know, for a guy who came into this with not many expectations uh, and then to get to this point and then, okay, I didn't get the job. No big deal. Uh, and I land and I, I get a text message from, you know, some, some powers that be said, Hey, don't read a lot into what you're, you know, what's on social media, you know, you know, we'll call you uh, shortly. So I got a call a couple hours later, and they were saying, hey, you know, we offer Witten the lead job. We, we want a three-man booth. We want to make you the first-ever NFL field analyst. 
Um, and I'm like, well, what does that entail? And so once we had that conversation, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get back to you because I didn't know what it entailed. Uh, and so at that point, I called my agent. We had a conversation. We talked. Um, you know, we kind of went around in some circles about what that meant because my whole thing was the only thing that remotely was close that I'd ever heard of was Tony Saragusa. And I told them, I said, you know, I really don't want to do that. I said, I, I don't want to be the guy that you go to and, you know, every, you know, once a quarter and he makes a joke or two and maybe he, he gets to do a breakdown. I said, I don't want to be that guy. I have a bigger platform in college football that I've worked to get that I'd like to be able to continue to grow. And so, you know, over the next few hours, we went back and forth with them and it was clearly, clearly defined that, hey, this is not that. We want a three-man booth. We want you to be an integral part of it. Uh, we're not going to say, hey, you talk 50, he talks 50, but nobody's going to tell anybody how to talk, when to talk. This is going to be three dudes talking about football, and we just want to give it to you from a different vantage point. We think it'll be new, it'll be innovative. And at that point, I was sold, and so I took the job. And at that point, did you know what your field analyst role would look like in terms of location? And I guess now we're getting into that, uh, I don't even know the name of it, that hydraulic lift you were sitting on. Uh, no, but yeah, I, I knew from talking to the producers and directors, they were going to be creative in and, and different, you know, different ways because, A, they knew that they were taking a risk by doing this, and B, they also knew what the comparisons were going to be with Sarah Goose, I'm pretty sure. So they were going to do it, do something that was going to be creative and innovative to be as far away from that and also make sure that I could maximize my voice inside. And I, I think all parties got together and did that because um, I think if you listen to our broadcast, and that's what I've always do. Like when I go back and watch the games, I don't watch – I don't watch the game. I, I put the game on and I turn the, I, I take the picture and turn it off and I just listen. I, I just listen. And so because most people who watch football are listening to your voice. So that's how I go back and kind of review and look at film and do all those different things. And um, the main thing I wanted, Andrew, was to be able to have a voice. Because mm-hmm. I worked very hard in college football to get a voice, to go from the SEC network to studio College Football Live, the Sports Center, to now on 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 Selection Sunday, I'm I'm sitting up there with Herb Street and Reese Davis, like t- to go from there to where I was. I worked a hard, I worked very hard to get to that point, I, and I was pretty, uh, you know, pretty happy with, with where I was. And you know, making the switch, the biggest decision for me in switching from college football to pro was two things. One. It was the biggest platform that our company has in Monday Night Football. When you look at the amount of dollars, the amount of resources that we put in to Monday Night Football, A, it's the biggest thing we do, and B, it was a new challenge for me. You know, I, I was told by at a young age by a lot of people that uh, when you become comfortable, you stop growing. And right. as I looked as I looked around, I had become very comfortable. Not that college football and studio work was easy, but you, as I've told you during this podcast, I'm a people person. It's very easy for me to be amongst three guys, and we're just going back and forth talking about football. Hell, I forget the camera's on. But that's like second nature to me. This was going to be a new challenge. And, you know, quiet as it's kept, I was very uncomfortable uh, during doing games. And so I took it as a new challenge. I took it as, as something that 
I've never done before other than maybe a spring game or two. I think I did one bowl game. Me and Galloway did a bowl game. And so this was a new challenge. This was something new. This was fun. And having completed year one is probably one of the best professional decisions I ever made. What do you call the lift you were sitting in? You know, people call it the Boogermobile. I just call it my <laughs> my office, man. I mean, basically what it is, it's the same camera cart that every network uses to shoot games. They just right. put a platform or a desk on top of it for me. So it's the same. Uh, I, I think they call it a, a Cushman or uh, some, or some, some type of, I think that's the company that makes it. It's basically right. a camera cart with a desk on it. And was that your idea to be up there? Was it was someone of the brass comes to you with that as opposed to standing? No, this was and, the, you know, this was the creative team, the creative brass. Okay. I'm sure they got their direction from people above them. This was a, because um, I had no idea how this stuff was going to work. You know, I, I'm just thinking, give me a microphone and a monitor. And they were like, no, no, no. We're going to give you a desk. Make sure you got your charts. Make sure you got camera angles. And to their credit, it was an unbelievable setup. I had a screen that was split. Uh, into fours and in the top right corner is a four it's a 4k screen so everything is high depth and the top right quadrant was a a camera of Witten and Tess so imagine seeing a 4k picture FaceTime that's real time and so Mm -hmm. we could communicate via FaceTime where he and I or or he uh, those two could see me and I could see them so that's why the conversation was a little easier to have, but I think most people recognize that the last couple of weeks we did the Oakland Raider Denver Bronco game, the Cold Texan game, we were all in the booth together. It's a lot easier and a lot more seamless when you're standing next to someone, even when you have some of the best technology that man's ever made. No, it definitely is, but you did a great job of it. And I wondered how you sort of not stepped on each other with you on the lift. And then you kind of just explained it. Were you sort of signaling back and forth with that FaceTime, if you will, like I'm going to jump in here, or or give me a give me a. a no, there here? were no signals, uh, and that that's one of the things that I mean. Every now and then we point at each other, but I would say 90 percent of the time, 95 percent of the time, um, it's really up to me when I talk. I I have my microphone, uh, turn it on, turn it off when I got ready. Nobody said, "Hey, book, it's your time." And that's one of the things we wanted to to do. We didn't want to turn this into, hey, Bullock, what are you doing? No. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to talk when I want to talk and talk about what I want to talk about. And, and I think that's the uniqueness of the broadcast is that Jason was given the same direction. And so three guys or two guys who look at football from different perspectives, offense, defense, lineman, tight end, um, we were given a directive to, hey, explain and talk about football from how you see it. And to this day, nobody has ever said, all right, book, uh, you're talking too much or Whitten, you're talking too much, which is, which has been really cool because we've had to both just like any team does. We've had to come together as a team. And I think you're one, if you're one was the worst we're going to do, which I think it will be. And I don't think your one was bad. Let me say that. Then I think yeah. we're going to be fine because going through the growing pains of year one at that job with the scrutiny that we got, and you look back at uh, the end of the Green Bay and 49er game, you look back at the end of the, the Bronco uh, Chief game, you look at the Ram, uh, the Ram Chief game, you look at Drew Brees' game in that dome. I can keep going on and on of games and moments where 
I'd put our broadcast up against any of the other three. You just mentioned it. I'm sorry. In our final moments with Booger McFarlane, which uh, talking about your first season and and what a uh, what an intro to the broadcasting world you had with this Monday night booth. How, what were your biggest memories coming out of that first year? What what stands out to you? And maybe it's not even action on the field. I mean, when you look back at year one, what comes to mind first? Just the you know just the camaraderie in, in the journey. You know. Um, I look back at my pro football career, Andrew, and I was able to win two Super Bowls and play mm-hmm. with a lot of uh, a lot of great players, Hall of Fame players. But the things you always remember the most are the journeys, you know, right. the plane rides, the bus rides, the time in between plays where you're in the huddle. And I, I think as our team uh, continues to grow uh, and continues to morph into what we're eventually going to be, uh, the journey that we were on, on the bus, the journey that we have during commercial breaks, the journey that we have just talking to each other about, hey, we could have been better in this moment or we could have been better in that moment or, you know, understanding uh, that we're going to get criticism and then also understanding that, you know what, you have to be able to handle that and, and use it uh, and then continue to grow. To me, that's what I would take from it. Yeah, the games were great. I mean, you know, the Rams, Chiefs, most watched game, whatever. It, it was unbelievable. Uh, to, to watch Mahomes, to watch Drew Brees, I can go on and on. Um, it was a special year football-wise. But from a team uh, team standpoint, to watch Jason Witten go from the field to coming to the broadcast booth uh, and, and just to see his growth throughout the season, those are the special things. You know, to, to see Joe Tess uh, be a boxing guy, do boxing on a, on a Saturday night, fly to Seattle or fly to wherever and get ready to do Monday Night Football on Monday. Like, that's special. And then, of all of that, like, we've talked about the three dudes. What Lisa Salters did for us Mm -hmm. um, was amazing because she's the only veteran on the crew. And Mm. for Lisa to be as selfless as she was to allow three knuckleheads to come in and take over the space and learn and grow and make mistakes and be criticized and have moments. And all she did was say, you know what, guys, what can I do to help encourage us? And and I I think those things are the things that stand out for me. And and I couldn't be happier working with with Tess and with, and and Lisa is kind of the glue to the whole thing. And because she, she uh, kind of symbolizes what we're all about, which is being selfless, being about the team and trying to put on the best broadcast and, and the most fun because at the end of the day, man, we're talking about football. This is not brain surgery or rocket science. This is football where people are sitting around. They got wings. They got Buffalo chicken dip. They got a couple of cold ones and they're trying to see if their team is going to win. And we just happen to have a conversation going on while you're watching. Great comments about Lisa Salters and her selflessness. One other name that you brought up earlier just sounded like, so many people ask me for advice on how you get ahead in any business, sports alone. But you said some things about Mike Greenberg that I thought were really special uh, in terms of helping you, propping you up, getting you ready, being a, a supporter of you, being a champion. And uh, I always say this, Booger, to young people, you need someone to believe in you more than you believe in yourself. Yeah. Sounds like you had Mike Greenberg in your corner for that. You know, Andrew, he made a statement to me one day that literally changed. It, it, it's, it, it's two people, all right? Mike Greenberg was 
was one, and, and I'll get into the second one in a minute. You know, Greenberg made a statement to me off there. He said, um, your honesty, your delivery. He said, you can be a star in this business. Just don't change. Hmm. And it, it's always kind of puzzling to me because that's kind of how I've always been. Just honest and straightforward and have fun. And, and like, this is not, I mean, this is not life or death. We're talking about sports. That's, that's what most of us are talking about. And, and so his comments uh, and, and his ability to not only bring me on the show as a guest, but to want to work with me as a co-host just gave me more confidence than anything. Sometimes as, as, as a young country boy from Louisiana who grew up a middle child um, and didn't have much for somebody, here's Mike Greenberg who grew up in New York, who, who, who grew up in a concrete jungle. Uh, we couldn't be more different. But what he saw wasn't, the, wasn't my background. What he saw was the ability that he thought I had, and, and, and that meant the world. Um, I'll rewind all the way back. You know, as I'm, as I'm trying to figure out between the ages of 30 and 34 what I'm going to do, um, I took, a, um, I took a, a class. I call it a class. I went to the broadcast boot camp that the NFL puts on. Right. Um, I applied for that. Uh, it's a two or three day deal in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. I did that. And while I was there, um, James Brown, uh, after one of the segments, he looked at me and he simply said, I can't define what it is. He said, but you have it. Hmm. He said, of all the people who come through here, he said, man, I, I didn't expect it from you. And it's amazing as you're trying to figure out what you're going to do and what's next and what, what can you be good at when people start kind of breathing life into you. And mm-hmm. as I look back and over the time, over the last four, five, six, seven years, and you, know, you just look at the opportunities where people have put confidence in me, you know, James Brown was one. And as I got started, Mike Greenberg was, the, was kind of the second guy as far as on air people that were established that said, Hey, that's the guy I want. You know, and, 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 and that also leads to, you know, when he launches his new show, Get Up, um, mm-hmm. he wanted me to be on there week one. And, and I gladly went up there, not having, you know, not being a regular, but because he's a guy that believed in me. Let me go up here and believe in him and, and his new venture. And so, you know, just special relationships that, uh, you know, to your point, you have to have somebody that believes in you. And, um, and then you also got to put the work in to make them feel, you know, make them look right. Well said. And again, we all need those champions. And sometimes you find them in the most uh, unsurprising places, but you do find them. And people that have talent and drive usually do find them. In our last moments, you talked about the fun of talking football. Well, here we are, day after the championship uh, teams are set, after the divisional playoff weekend. Uh, Quick thoughts that jump out at you from divisional playoff weekend, mostly uh, non-competitive games except for the Saints and Eagles. And then uh, I'll ask your thoughts moving forward as we look towards the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'll start with uh, Colts Chiefs. Uh, I, I think the Colts' inability to have um, – I, I know T.Y. Hilson is, is a very good receiver. And Eric Ebron has been a, a, a great uh, resurrection story, but – they need a little bit more offensively. You know, Andrew mm-hmm. Luck came back, 39 touchdowns, second most to Mahomes. But offensively, they just need a little bit more. And defensively, they have to have a star up front. Um, the secondary and that cover two system, we can work around that. But they got to have a couple of stars in that front four to rush the passer. Because 
the way that defense works is the quarterback can't have three and four seconds. And we saw Mahomes have that much time. So I, I think if there's any team that I'm buying stock in more than any other in National Football League, I'm buying stock in the combination of Ballard, Reich, and Luck. Mm-hmm. Chris Ballard's going to build it through the draft. I, I think he's going to be phenomenal, and, and I look forward to seeing where they go. Uh, Chargers-Patriots, I went into that game thinking the Chargers were the most complete team in the National uh, excuse me, the, the American Football Conference. But what I learned is that, A, home field matters because weather played a factor in that game. B, is that you give Bell, uh, Bill Belichick a week or longer to prepare for you, he's going to find something. They sit back and play cover two man all day, and they dare Phillip Rivers to beat them. And for the large part of that day, he could. And as, as Bill Belichick gets ready to go against Patrick Mahomes, he and Tom Brady, who am I to bet against those two? I know uh, Mahomes has been great. I understand. I get it. But if you bet against Brady and Belichick over the last decade, you've lost more than you've won. I'll just leave that there. Right. On the other side of, of, of the bracket, um, where has that Rams team been all year? Like the team that stops the run, the team that runs the football, because the Rams team, I remember watching against the Eagles, the Saints, and the mm-hmm. Bears, they couldn't stop the run, nor could they run the ball. But, I mean, that Rams team that showed up against the Cowboys, if they do that, nobody's beating them. All right? If they do that, nobody's beating them, especially on the defense. And they did all that, Andrew, and Aaron Donald really didn't have an Aaron Donald-type game. All right? So, I think the Rams uh, are, are going to be fine if they show up that way. The Cowboys have got to figure out um, – what they're going to do with all those contracts that are coming up. Because what happens right. when you have a young team, and I think they have the third youngest team in football, now you, now you have to identify who's who. Are you going to pay Cooper? Are you going to pay Dak? Are you going to pay Zeke? Are you going to pay DeMarcus Lawrence? Are you going to get another safety in there to help that defense? Like, they got a lot of questions. I like them, but I need to see where they go. And I'm, I'm not sure if Jerry Jones or Steven has proven that when it comes to personnel that they're going to make the best decision. They haven't made bad decisions, but are they going to make the ones to put you over the top? We'll see. Um, I think it's very interesting with the Eagles and, and the Saints because the Eagles were playing with house money based on the quarterback situation. Uh, the Saints in that building are tough to beat. I think the matchup between them and the Rams uh, is going to be spectacular. I would love to see in an honest moment, I love to ask in an honest, honest moment, uh, Doug Peterson, if I gave you either quarterback with the same contract, would you take Nick Foles or would you take Carson Wentz? Because, like, film doesn't lie. And the team performs better with Foles offensively. And to me, it's not a secret to, a secret to why. I think that Carson Wentz targets Zach Ertz too much. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest difference when Foles comes in the game, he spreads the ball around, particularly to Alshon Jeffrey, a lot more. And I think now – uh, your offense is played outside in instead of inside out. Uh, Wentz plays the game inside out, which is why uh, Ertz had 150 catches or whatever he had. And so it's going to be an interesting decision what they do there. I think Wentz is the guy of the future. I think that's how they go. That's the easy way to do it. But I would just love in a private moment where nobody else would know to ask Doug Peterson, who would you take? Because, like I said, man, the film doesn't lie. But I, I think the title games on either side are going to be fun. I don't have a, a pick just yet. Um, it's hard to bet against Brady and Belichick, and it's also hard to go against the Saints in that dome. But I will say this. The Rams are a better team 
in that dome. With their speed on defense mm-hmm. and their speed on offense, they will play better in that dome than they play at home. And a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people won't think about that. But if I'm the Rams, excuse me, if I'm the Saints, I know your defense is going to play better. But just actual games, game-wise, I think it's a better matchup if the Saints played the Rams in L.A. I think the Rams on that turf, they're going to be faster, maybe faster than the Saints are. And, you know, I, I don't know what the weather's going to be like in Kansas City, but Brady and Belichick are used to playing in any kind of weather. Um, they made Mahomes turn it over a couple of times in Foxborough. If they do that again, I think, I, I think that game could be a pick and we seem to go back and forth all season about the role of defense versus offense, and here we are with the four highest-scoring teams. Having said that, I just got a sneaking suspicion we're going to have not low but relatively medium-scoring games rather than the offensive fireworks people think with these teams. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think it's going to be – I don't think we're going to get 40-point games. I think the games are going to probably be somewhere in the, in the, in the mid to high 20s. I think that's what they're going to be at. Yeah, I, listen, one comment on Foles. I, I just think there's a magic about him. And it's almost like, you know, it's almost like a couple that dated throughout high school that are going off to different colleges. Yeah, it's, it's sad. It's, it's tear-jerking almost. But they just can't stay together. They just can't. They have to move on. Because Wentz is what every team wants. Young, ascending, strong, big-time young player. And then Foles is just that someone that you have to let go because it'd be unfair for Foles to come back, even if he's making $20 million. It's just not fair. And I just think the way Peterson talked yesterday, it's like they just have to let him go. They just have to sort of like let the bird leave the nest, you know, pardon the pun. But it's sad but true. It just has to happen in my mind. Well, uh, you know, you may be right about that, but, you know, the name of the game is, is winning. And yeah. uh, Nick Foles has done that. They wouldn't be where they are or where they were yesterday without Nick Foles. And so I, I just wonder, though, um, you know, if, if A, is, is, is Carson Wentz going to be the same? That's two years he's been hurt twice. Mm-hmm. I, I hear the mobile quarterback thing, and he can get out, and he can make plays, but uh, if, if you haven't heard me talk about the – the mobile quarterback. Here's my here's my outlook on that. The quarterback position is to is to be played the overwhelming majority of the time from the pocket, throwing the football, being accurate, getting the ball to your playmakers. The rare opportunities when you uh, can make a play, first down here, first down there, uh, with your legs. To me, that's a bonus. Which is why I think if you look at Wentz, he's been hurt twice. All right, that's twice in two years. RG3 didn't last long, okay? Um, I think Lamar Jackson, as dynamic as he was, I don't think he's going to last long. I just think that, you know, Nick Foles plays a position the way, even though he's not as talented as Wentz, he plays the position more the way I would want to play than, than, than Wentz does. Wentz can play from the pocket, there's no question, but he also has an element of every now and then he wants to get out and make some plays with his legs, and he's got hurt twice. He's got hurt twice doing that. Yeah, I get it, you know, but I just keep coming back to if they keep foals, that's uh, indictment's too strong a word, but it's kind of like what you're saying about Wentz. You and I can talk about Wentz that way, but they're keeping foals would mean they're kind of thinking that way about Wentz, and they just can't do that. Here's a question for you, Andrew. I've been talking to a lot of people about this. 
you're Jerry Jones, uh, and CAA comes to you and said, all right, let's do a deal for Dak Prescott. I'm yeah. going to give you an opportunity to make the first offer. What's the first offer you make to Dak Prescott this offseason? This from the Cowboys or from the uh, CAA? Uh, you're CAA, and you're oh, making okay. the offer to the Cowboys. You know, you have to look at these players that go into year four with the big deal, and the natural comparison is Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson did that deal three years ago, four years ago. So, you know, that was a 22-23 average. I think you're looking at Dak Prescott in the 26-27 range with 45 to 60 guaranteed. I mean, that's really the marketplace right now. Gotcha. It's going to be interesting now, because you're right. I mean, you're Jerry so right about the Cowboys. Said, said that they're going to pay him, but he, he also didn't say what they're going to pay him. Well, you're so right. They've got Dak up next year, Zeke up next year. They've got Lawrence, who's a free agent. They can't tag him again. And right. and Amari Cooper, they've made a commitment there. So, yeah, it's it's really we're going to see their priorities soon with that team. Yeah. Well, this has been, been great. I mean, <laughs> I could, we could talk all day. Any parting thoughts? Uh, you've shared so much about your upbringing, uh, coming through the broadcast. Now it's just great seeing your success, talking about football. Uh, any parting thoughts on the podcast? We'll get you back for part two at, at another time. Oh, just how fun football is. Uh, football is the greatest teacher of life that I've ever uh, encounter it, it teaches ups and downs um, and that's both on and off the field and, and, and I and I think that it's the one thing as I look back on my career uh, and as I get this this broadcast career started only being in year year five of that it, it's the one thing I take away is, is just that you know this game means so much to so many people and has taught us so much I, I just hope everyone who has been a part of it or even if you haven't been a part of it, that you understand Really appreciate it. I've always enjoyed talking to you on and off air. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Anytime, Drew, man. Anytime. Let me know. Hey, really hope you enjoyed Booger McFarland. What an interesting, gregarious, and like he said, really a people person. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now a word from our presenting sponsor, betonline.ag. One of my resolutions was to make this podcast bigger in 2019. I think, well, Bet Online, what they're trying to do is give you a trip to the NFL's biggest game on February 3rd. You sign up today, betonline.ag, get all the information. This is special. It's a paid flight, paid hotel, VIP tailgate party, tickets to the big game for you and friend, family member, significant other. This is a once in a lifetime trip. Weekend trip to the big game for two people. You can get it now. Our exclusive partners at Bet Online have golden tickets. Your opportunity to place a bet on yourself. Don't miss out. Promotion ends January 25th. Visit betonline.ag today. Bet Online, your online gambling resource. It's now time to hear from you. If you've got a question for the Business of Sports podcast, leave me a voicemail. I'll answer it on the pod. 484-416-5654. 484-416-5654. Our question this week comes from Josh from Tacoma, Washington. My question is, you've done a really great job of explaining to all of us why uh, signing a quarterback to a big contract doesn't really hurt the team's chances of, of making the postseason or competing for a Super Bowl. 
Uh, and my question is, uh, why isn't the same logic applied to kickers? Uh, we've seen a number of teams uh, this year and last year, you know, either miss the playoffs or, or lose big games because of because of problems with their kicker. Uh, when they have the opportunity to go out and get better kickers for just maybe a million or two more, which was seemingly kind of an insignificant amount when you compare it to these quarterbacks. So why aren't teams willing to pay just that little bit extra uh, to make sure when they're in that situation they have a reliable kicker? Thanks very much for answering it. Love you. Love the podcast. And uh, I'll look forward to hearing your answer. Great question, Josh. Thanks for the kind words about the pod and the answers on the quarterbacks. Yeah, now we get to kicker. It does seem like it's a really trivial expense, and especially when it comes down to it. You know my saying, kickers are like lawyers. You're not fully appreciated until you really need a good one, until you appreciate one, just like lawyers. And here we are talking about this after the Cody Parkey situation, the boink and boink in Chicago, and now the Bears seem to be upset with him that he went on national TV became kind of this empathetic hero, but I don't understand the Bears. What basically behind all this, I think the Bears can be looking to get better at kicker and replace him, even though they gave him $9 million guaranteed, $3.5 million is left on the guarantee going into this year. But that was their decision. They did exactly what Josh said teams should do, pay a little extra to get a good kicker. The question becomes, what's a good kicker? Beyond Vinatieri, I mean, even he had an off day the other day, Justin Tucker and Goskowski, you know, who do we say is is money? Uh, I guess there's some. I mean, Dan Bailey was money, money for a long time. Now he's missing kicks and bouncing around. Uh, speaking of, on the Vikings, speaking of the Vikings, they drafted a kid, Carlson, in the fifth round. He missed a big kick against the Packers that maybe, looking back, could have put him in the playoffs. He, he went that week. He was gone goes over to the Raiders. I mean, this is what happens with kickers. You don't get that many chances. So I understand if you're going to spend 25 to $30 million on a quarterback, why not spend $3 million on a kicker? It's not going to hurt your cap. It's not a cap issue, not a cash issue. It's just what do you pay kickers? And people seem to be getting away with, with either rookie contract kickers or $1 million, $2 million kickers at most. I guess you have to you know, come down to, again, who are the difference makers? And I'm probably missing some when I'm just saying Vinatieri and I'm saying uh, Tucker and I'm saying Guskowski. You look at others that seem to be fairly money. Uh, the kid at uh, the Jets was great this year. Myers, uh, the, the Cowboys guy, seems to be good. Jake, Josh Elliott at uh, Philadelphia. Kickers still in the playoffs include Butker at Kansas City and the Big Z, Zerline. Janikowski's still kicking after 19 years. You know, and again, they can, they're can they durable as heck. They can last forever. The kickers can kick into their 40s, maybe 50 with Adam Vinatieri. We'll see what happens. But it's a great question. My only answer is, if you've got the guy, I mean, listen, it's same with quarterbacks. There Maybe there's more, but there's 10, 15 quarterbacks. You're like, pay the man. And maybe there's another 10, you're like, not sure. And then there's another 10, you're like, nah, don't pay him. Uh, and that's probably kickers too. I think it's probably simple, but again, it's not helped when Cody Parkey gets the, one of the biggest contract size kickers and then misses the biggest kick of the year that lingers in people's minds. Maybe they think can get away with a cheaper kicker. Josh, thanks for calling from the beautiful Pacific Northwest. I go out there every year. 
or teach a class at University of Oregon. I go where <laughs> you can tell my choices. I I teach uh, Villanova all year, but I go to Miami in the winter, teach a quick course there, teach a quick course in Oregon in the summer, try to get around, use my talents, uh, take my talents. Southeast, as uh, LeBron said, try to take mine where uh, where I want to go for periods of time. That'll do it for this week's edition of the Business of Sports podcast. This has been an interesting edition. I hope you enjoyed my rant about Kyler Murray and the fascinating conversation with Booger McFarlane up in that lift, whatever you want to call it, the Cushman on Monday Night Football. Really appreciate those that all that follow me at Twitter, at Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. If you do, our rankings and comments are always appreciated. Kudos to our producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Thanks for listening to The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at RossTucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.